a lot of stuff going on. I get some devotionals and uh, things like that. So I've got, you know, a New Testament devotional going and an Old Testament devotional going and a book. And then uh, my school stuff, and I do that because I don't have the attention span to focus on just one thing. So it's the truth. Ask Tina right there. She'll tell you. But um, it's interesting. A lot of times you're looking at Old Testament stuff, New Testament stuff, and then I'll do a study on this. And, and all of it will tie together in a, in a random way. And I get to thinking about Paul uh, in prison. And Paul's going to prison. He had, he had been a terrible person. And then he met Jesus on the road. And it turned him into this wonderful minister of the gospel. And then he gets thrown in jail, not a couple times. But in this particular time, Jesus or God said, basically, you're going to go in and you're going to preach the gospel in prison. And he does that and he sings and he does all this stuff and they worship and they, they, they change guards' lives and the walls come tumbling down. I thought about the prison and some of the walls that we deal with. And uh, as big as the thing we have going on, prison, walls, walls of a problem that we've got going on and an ongoing problem, it's all pretty minuscule to God, and he can take care of it. He's going to. He's going to knock those walls down. So pray for us as we sing. And if you know this one, sing with us. Oh, 
changed my destiny. Sing this part. Thank you, God, for When the ground began to shake, the grace of God started falling, and I became a free man that day. The prison walls started falling, and I am a free man today. Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today for this hour of worship, and I hope it will be an hour of encouragement. And again, let me welcome our guest. If you are our guest today, I will remain down front. Uh, come down front and let me meet you, and then go out to the guest central place. They have a gift certificate for you, $100 for Ollie's, and um, good stuff, cheap. And so... Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't really what the gift certificate's for, <laughs> but we're glad that you are here. I have been in a series called Let Us Encourage One Another, and today we're coming to the last of those messages, and it is called How to Encourage Others with Our Words. Let me pray, and uh, we will get into it. Father, we know that our tongues often get ahead of our mind and heart. And we're quick to speak and we repent of the many thoughtless things we've spoken. And we're sorry for words that we have spoken in anger or in gossip. And please help us to see that when we're about to speak without thinking and to check our heart. Help us to learn today how we can speak encouraging words in the lives of those we do life with and the lives of those we do life with in our church. Help us to be a person full of loving words, full of your spirit, overflowing with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. For the last several days, I've been thinking about an old song. Oh, give me a home where the buffalo roam, where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day. Now, wouldn't you want to like to live in a place like that? 
Is it possible to live in a place like that? I heard about a place like that out on the western range where the buffalo roam and the antelope play. And it seems that this cowboy rode up to this buffalo and he said, just look at you. You are the ugliest creature on earth. Your head is too big for your body. Your feet are too short for your body. Your hair is as mangy as a thing as I've ever seen. You are ugly, ugly, ugly. And the, buff- and the cowboy rode off into the sunset. And the old buffalo sauntered over to one of his buffalo buddies and said, I think I just heard a discouraging word. I found another song that was written by the same tune. Oh, give me a church where the folks in a lurch are encouraged and healed from above, where seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the truth is modeled in love. Now, maybe that home on the range is a little too idea to be true, but what about a church? What about Burlington Baptist Church? We probably can't say never a discouraging word has been heard around here. But can we say seldom is heard a discouraging word? Proverbs 12, 25 says, Worry weighs a person down, and encouraging word cheers a person up. Now, when we speak to one another to affirm, to comfort, to show that we care or encourage them, we are strengthening those people with our words. So let's start with this. Let's start with the power of words. The Bible says that there are poison words and there are positive words. Look at the screen and look at the words that are underlined or in the dark. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. See the words, no account? That's poison words. See the words, accomplish nearly anything? That describes positive words that we use to strengthen one another. Now, the poison words and the positive words are different, but they reveal a common truth, which is the fact that words are very powerful. Would you agree with that? The Bible says that words directed toward one another either bring life or they bring death. Look at this, Proverbs 18. Words kill. Words give life. They either poison, they are either poison or fruit. You choose. And look at the word, you choose. Now, the words that come out of our mouth are our responsibility. We are not forced to say them. It is our choice. See, encouragements are like vitamins. You know, our body has to have them, and sometimes our body cannot manufacture them. Those people my age, we have a hard time with vitamin D, so I have to take 10,000 units of vitamin D a, 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 a day because I don't like to get out in the sun. And so the, the, the vitamins have to be taken from the outside. And encouragement is the same way. 
We desperately need encouragement to survive, but we can't manufacture it on our own. We need people on the outside to give it to us. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. So encourage each other and give each other strength. Notice the word strength. Now, this is what encouragement does. It builds up other people. Encouragement is choosing words that put strength in people. I really love you. I value you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you because of the way that you are so kind to me. I appreciate the way you handle responsibility. I appreciate your integrity. Now, that's encouragement. Encouragement is being very specific and choosing words that give life. So how do we encourage others with our words? I want to reach into the word words and pull out some principles that will help us to encourage one another with our words. The W in words is work on your heart. Encouraging people work on their heart. Look at Matthew 12. A good person produces good deeds and words season after season. An evil person is a blight on the orchard. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation. Words can also be your damnation. Now, Jesus is doing a lesson on basic anatomy. He is saying that the words of our mouth are directly connected to our heart. The words that come out of our mouth have to come out of a heart that is right. And I think all of you would agree with me, one of the signs of spiritual maturity are the words that come out of our mouth. It's a sign of spiritual maturity when we use words to give life and provide healing and to give courage. Now, at the end of the day, if you were to sit down and you were to tally up your words, which list would be, be larger, your poisonous words or your positive words? You see, the words that we use, our ability to use words, are directly, according to Jesus, related to our time with God. Jesus said that we have to work on our hearts if we are going to have control of our mouth. And folks, our time with God is directly related to what comes out of our mouth. So I, I don't want to fuss this morning, but how much time did you spend this week working on your heart? How much time did you spend getting along with this book and letting this book speak to you about your heart and you speaking to God about your heart. The time that we spend in this book, the time that we spend with God working on our heart directly relates to the words that we say. So encouraging people work on their words. Encouraging people overcome obstacles. The O in words is overcome obstacles. Now, a lot of us have a lot of trouble right here, right here, right here. A lot of people. 
A lot of obstacles. And people say to me, well, you don't know what I have been through. Everybody here has obstacles, right? Obstacles that keep us from becoming people of encouragement. And we have to, we have to get over that. I hear people say to me, I grew up in a dysfunctional family. If anybody comes into my study and says that to me again, I am going to stand up and scream. All of us come from dysfunctional families. Amen? All of us. At times, some families are more dysfunctional than others. But all of us come from a dysfunctional family. And you hide behind that obstacle. Well, I grew up in a family where there wasn't much verbal encouragement. And if I heard this, I've heard it a hundred times. Well, my daddy never told me I love me, and I'm not an encourager. Get over it. Don't hide behind the obstacle. In other words, well, I feel rejected. If I, you know, if I were to tell another person how I feel, you know, they just might reject me. Do it anyway. And then another one is this. I hear this. This is for men. This is for us men. Encouragement, I'm a man. Now, encouragement is just too intimate. And we men have a difficult time encouraging another man. Brother to brother, father to son, friend to friend. You, you, know, you know how fellas do it. They walk up to another fellow and hit him on his shoulder and grunt and say, How you doing, bro? That's a caveman way for saying, I really like you. And that's about as intimate as it gets for a man. Get over that. Get over that. Others say, well, and I've heard women say this. Boy, if I encourage my husband, he's got a big head already. He'll be too egotistical. Well, the problem is you don't understand what real egotism is. Real egotists aren't people who have been encouraged too much. An egotist is a person who's overcompensating for their low self-esteem. So they need encouragement just as much as anybody. As I've told you in this series, I hope you'll take it home. I've never met anybody that's had too much encouragement. Don't give me more. I've had enough. Don't need any more. No, no. We are dying for encouragement. Everybody needs words of encouragement. So if you have a weakness in this area, admit it, admit it, and ask God to help you to work through that weakness so that you can use words to strengthen other people. All right, look at the screen. Encouraging people work on their heart. They overcome obstacles to encouragement. And then they are encouragement people respond slowly. Maybe I should use the word react slowly. React is a negative term because when I react, I say things I later regret. Anybody can identify with that? But when I respond, then I weigh my words. I was at McDonald's down the street with my little granddaughter. She was about five years old. And this mother with two small children, was trying to get them seated. And her little son, who looked like he was about four years old, dropped his fries. That mother went ballistic. I mean, she went crazy. 
she, she didn't just raise her voice. She screamed. You could hear her all over McDonald's. I mean screamed. And a lot of her, I've had it with you. I'm going to take you home and put you in your room, and I don't want to see your face for the rest of the day. I am just tired of you. My little granddaughter's eyes got really big. She scooted over close to me, and she said, Poppy, what's wrong with his mommy? And I wanted to tell her she was crazy and mean, and she should be in jail. <laughs> but I didn't. That little boy will never forget that. And you could just watch that little guy wilt. And he began to cry, and she went crazy again. You know, I don't believe in hitting women. <laughs> when we respond, we wait. And when we wait, we choose better words. Look at Proverbs 15.1. A gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue kindles a temper fire. Proverbs 21. Watch your words. Hold your tongue. You save yourself a lot of grief. Does anybody want to stand and give a testimony? <laughs> words hurt. Down through the years, people have come into my study and have told me, I can remember what was said to me 30 years ago. And you can too. Once those poisonous words have been spoken, people don't forget it. So when we hold our tongue, we save ourselves and a lot of others grief. Now you think about this. You think about this. Some of the greatest, where did some of the greatest hurts in your life come from? Things that people said to you. Isn't that right? Some of the greatest hurts that you still carry around come from something that somebody said to you. Harsh, angry, mean words. Can't you do anything right? C plus? Well, you're not just trying. Is that all you can do is a C plus? Are, are, are you dumb? Or why can't you be like your brother? Ever had that thrown in your face? Why can't you be like your sister? Oh, this is even worse. Why can't you be like so-and-so's husband? Woo. Or you're never going to amount to anything. And this one is worst of all. Well, that's not bad for a girl. Ooh. Ooh. And we grew up with this. Remember recess? You younger guys don't remember recess. But we had recess when I was in school. And we'd get in fights, and people would say things to me. And we always had that little phrase. You know what it was. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, that's cute. But the guy who wrote that did not live on this planet. <laughs> nobody believes that. And nobody believes it. Words hurt. Respond slowly. All right, look at the screen. Encouraging people, work on their hearts. Spend time with God. Work on their hearts. Overcome the obstacles to encouragement. I don't know what yours is. I don't know what excuse you hide behind, but get over it and get rid of that obstacle. And then respond slowly. 
The D in words is encouraging people detect opportunities to be encouragers. They detect opportunities to be encouragers. They catch people doing something right and tell them. Several years ago, there was a business management book came out called One Minute Manager. That little book was about as thin as my finger, and it cost about $25 or $30. And you know the whole thesis of that book? The whole thesis of that little expensive book was this. Find people doing something right and tell them. That's all it was. Find people some, doing something right and tell them. Now, folks, that's not a business management principle. That's biblical. Look at Hebrews 3. Encourage each other. What's the word? Every day while it is today. An encourager not only detects opportunities, but an encourager creates opportunities to encourage. Now, 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 let me tell you the result of creating opportunities to encourage. It creates an environment where encouragement is normal. Joyce and I went to serve a church after we left First Church. I went there to be the interim and ended up staying three years. And uh, I never had been around people like that. I mean, you talk about people getting your face. Whoa. I, I wasn't used to that. We didn't do that at First Church. I mean, get in your face. And just tell you off quick as a drop of a hat. And it would scare the daylights out of me. And you know, I preach more on relationships and encouragement than any place I've ever been. And you know, I had to leave because I got sick and and I, I was there about three years. I had to leave. Get to, I, and it was beginning to turn around. It was beginning to turn around. But you see, what we have to do is create an environment where encouragement is normal. It won't happen overnight. And it, it took me about three years to even get them to get out of each other's face. So... Encouraging people. Look at the screen. They work on their hearts. They spend time with God. Work on their hearts. They overcome the obstacles, whatever, and don't use those as an excuse. They respond slowly, and they detect opportunities and even make opportunities to encourage. And then the S is seek God's wisdom. Encouraging people seek God's wisdom. If we are to speak wise words, words that give life, we are going to have to go to God as the source of wisdom to do it. Look at Proverbs 2. Cry out for wisdom and beg for understanding. Search for it like silver and hunt for it like hidden treasure. Only the Lord gives wisdom, but wisdom will help you to be good and do what is right. Now, notice the text, only the Lord gives wisdom. If there is a prayer that I have prayed all the 55 years of my ministry, it's the prayer in James. James says, if we need wisdom, ask 
and God will give it to us. And I tell you, folks, I've been in situations in the 55 years, Lord, I, I really don't know how to handle this. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. I have, I've, had a, I've had a bad week. I buried a 92-year-old woman yesterday, and then I buried a 32-year-old young man. Now, I can bury a 92-year-old woman who's lived a full life. But burying a 32-year-old man that I had seen grow up, that I'd taken to camp with me and loved on his family, and I sat down in my study, and I begged God for wisdom to know what to say. I didn't know what to say. And I begged God. Give me wisdom that I can encourage these dear people. And, and, and that is the only way that we can get it, is to cry out to God for it. God, I don't, I sat down there and said, God, I don't have the words to say on Saturday. So you give me the words. Give me the wisdom. And you know, folks, we have to pray the same prayer when it comes to encouragement. God, I don't have the right words to say. I, I, you know, I'm not good with words. But Lord, give me the wisdom to say the right words when I come to this place or when I meet my friend to encourage them. You see, we have a wealth of words that's waiting to be spent on those that we value. And we have a wealth of words that's just waiting to be deposited into people's lives. And we go through life bankrupt verbally. Because we do not ask God to give us wisdom to say the right words. Words are powerful. They strengthen, they build, and we choose how we use them. We can use them either in fruitful, positive ways or in poison ways. Proverbs 18.20 What you say affects how you live. You will be rewarded by how you speak. Isn't that scary? Look at the screen. This man is Fred Craddock. Now, you're going to hear me mention Fred Craddock a lot. He was one. Fred Craddock, according to Newsweek magazine and according to Baylor University, Baylor University, every two or three years, they study all the American preachers and they come up with a list of those who are the most effective and who are the best preachers in America. Fred Craddock was always on that list. Fred Craddock is a graduate of my alma mater, Johnson University, and we were very proud of him. In the 123 years of our history, Fred Craddock was the greatest preacher that we ever produced, and he's one of the great preachers in this country. Newsweek magazine said of him when he died, they called him the preaching genius. Hmm. In one of his sermons... Fred tells a story about an old man that he met in a restaurant in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. The old man tells Fred his story, and in telling his story to Fred, the old gentleman uses a word that to describe himself that we would not use in the pulpit. It's a King James, it's in the King James Version Bible, but we would not use it. And uh, I worried over using it. 
And I, because I, I didn't want to offend anybody, but without the word, there's no story. And in using the word, you will see the point that I am making about the power of words. And so if it offends you, I tell you what to do. You just write Jim Willem Bishop, <laughs> Baptist Bishop, that's all the address that you need. Fred Craddock was famous for his stories, and he, he was one of the great teachers of preaching as well, and he taught us how to tell stories and the value of stories, and I would rather hear Fred tell a story than have been there myself, but I'm going to read this story exactly the way that Fred wrote it in one of his sermons. Nettie and I had returned from Oklahoma to one of our favorite vacation spots, the Great Smoky Mountains. We were at dinner out from Gatlinburg near a small community of Cosby. We were in a rather new restaurant called the Black Bear Inn. It was very attractive, and one whole side of the restaurant was solid glass that gave us an excellent view of the mountains. Early in the meal, an elderly man approached our table and said, Good evening. And I said, good evening. And he said, are you on vacation? And I said, yes. But underneath my breath, I was saying, it's really none of your business. Where are you from? We're from Oklahoma. And under my breath, almost audibly, I was saying, leave us alone. We're on vacation. We don't know who you are. He said, well, what do you do in Oklahoma? Well, I'm a Christian minister. Well, which church? The Christian church. And he paused for a moment and he said, I owe a great deal to a minister of the Christian church. He pulled out a chair and sat down and I said, well, yes, have a seat. <laughs> I tried to make it seem like I sincerely meant it, but I didn't. Who is this old man? The old man said, I grew up in these mountains. My mother was not married and the whole community knew it. I was what they called back then an illegitimate child. In those days, that was a shame, and I was ashamed, and the reproach that fell on her fell on me. And when I went to town, I could see people staring at me and trying to guess as to who my father was. And at school, the children said ugly, ugly things to me. They would call me Ben, Ben, the bastard boy. So I stayed to myself during recess and always ate my lunch alone. In my early teens, I began to attend a little church back in the mountains called Laurel Springs Christian Church. It had a minister who was both attractive and frightening. <laughs> he had a chiseled face and a heavy beard and a deep voice. And I went to hear him preach. I don't know exactly why, but it did something for me. However, I was afraid that I was not welcome since I was, as they put it, a bastard boy. So I would go just in time for the sermon, and when it was over, I would get out before everybody else because I was afraid someone would say, what's a boy like that doing in our church? One Sunday, people blocked the aisle before I could get out, and I was stopped. 
And before I could make my way through the crowd, I felt a hand on my shoulder, a heavy hand. It was that old mountain preacher. I cut my eyes around and caught a glimpse of his beard and his chin, and I knew who it was, and I trembled in fear. He turned me around so he could see me look in my face, and he kept staring at me for a little while. I knew what he was doing. He was going to guess who my father was. He said, boy, don't hurry out so fast. What's your name? I've seen you come early or come late and leave early. What's your name? And I felt like saying, you mean you don't know? I thought everybody knew that I was Ben, Ben the bastard boy. You don't know that? But I couldn't work myself up to say anything. So I just stared at him. And without waiting, that preacher man kept going, Well, boy, who's your father? What's your father's name? And when he said that, it was like he drove a knife in my gut and twisted it. It hurt so bad I almost fainted. And then that big old preacher man said, Boy, I know who your father is. I know who your father is. And then I almost did faint because I thought, he knows. And maybe this new preacher knows something that I don't. And I thought, finally, I'm going to find out who my father is. And then that big old preacher man reached out his arms and wrapped them around me and drew me to himself and hugged me and said, boy, your father is God. God's your father. You're a child of God, son. Don't you ever forget that. You're a child of God. And I see a striking resemblance. You're a child of God. And then he swatted me on my bottom and he said, Now, boy, you go and claim your inheritance as a child of God. I left that building a different person. In fact, that was really the beginning of my life. I was so moved, Fred said, by the story. I asked him, what's your name? And he said, Ben Hooper, and turned and walked away. Ben Hooper, Ben Hooper, Ben Hooper. I recall my father saying when I was just a boy about how the people of Tennessee had twice elected as a governor a bastard boy named Ben Hooper. Boy, you're a child of God. I see a strong resemblance. You go out and claim your inheritance. Now, people, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Now, what changed Ben Hooper? That old mountain preacher's words changed Ben Hooper's attitude about himself. Ben Hooper's circumstances didn't change. They still called him nasty names. But the words of that old mountain preacher, boy, you're a child of God. I see the resemblance. Go out and claim your inheritance. And that changed Ben Hooper's attitude about himself and took him from the smoky mountains to the governor's mansion in Tennessee two different times. You know what I believe? 
I believe we underestimate the power of one life on another. I am convinced that we believe that our touching another life is really insignificant. And we don't realize how powerful it is what we say. I'm here. I believe in you. I will not leave you. I am with you. I love you. I am your friend. Thank you for being my friend. Folks, this is an awfully cold place. This world is to pull off our lives. This world is an awfully cold place to pull off our lives. It's hard and it's tough. And the older I get, the more convinced that the tougher days outnumber the good days. Now, what we, we need, what goes on in this room? Yes, we need Dan and his team to take us into the presence of God with the good music that they provide for us, and it takes us into the presence of God. I didn't know a couple of those songs this morning. Danny, I like those songs. We need that. I need that. I probably, I, I, public worship to me puts me in the presence of God about as quick as anything. And I need that. But I tell you what we also need at Burlington Baptist Church. We need encouraging words that are spoken out there in the hall over there at the coffee station, in the parking lot, in those Sunday school rooms, and in the small groups. We need those just as much. I would like to challenge you with something this morning. If you don't want to do this, you don't have to. And don't say to God you're going to do it if you don't do it. I would like to challenge you. For the next three weeks, every day, encourage somebody. For the next three weeks, every day, go out of your way to encourage. Not flattery. We've dealt with that. But go out of your way to encourage somebody. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Father, thank you for the encouraging words that we get from you telling us that you love us and you will never leave us or forsake us. And may we be different people as a result of what we've learned today. And may your wisdom influence the words that we say and help us in the next three weeks to become encouragers. And to use positive words to put strength into other people. We will never know on this side of heaven the difference that it makes. No matter who it is, the clerk at Kroger's, the waiter at the restaurant, the parking lot attendant, the waitress. Help us to take advantage, to speak a kind word into their lives. We pray this for Jesus' sake.
And all God's people said, amen. Today we're going to invite you to accept Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior if you never have. Burlington Baptist Church exists to take as many people to heaven with us as we can. Amen. And that's where it begins. Come and accept Jesus. Be baptized into him as your Lord and as your Savior. If you want to pray, have someone pray with you, don't be ashamed. Come down here and one of the guys will be glad to pray with you. Or if you just want to come pray by yourself, that's perfectly all right. Don't be ashamed. If you would like communion, come to the communion station, serve yourself, have a time of prayer, meditation, serve yourself, and then go back to your seats. Let's stand. Take all I have in these hands and multiply, God, all that I am and find my heart on the altar again. Set me on fire, set me on fire.
Let's go.